Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. house today. Even if your hair had to get a little bit wet to come in, aren't you so glad that we get to be here? We are the United States of America, and we can worship God openly and freely and come into his house anytime we want to. Heck yeah. Hey, and we also have a bunch of states uh, joining us, Florida, North Carolina, Texas, South Carolina, Ohio, New York, and Washington, D.C. We are so glad y'all are joining. All we needed now was California. (laughs) We have been having a great time in this series. I'm loving it. Um, And we're so glad to have you, whether you're in the room or whether you're joining us around the world. We are so glad that you are here. Um, We had a good time this last service, and I know that we're going to have a good time during this one. Uh, For those who I might not have gotten to personally meet yet, my name is Penny Maxwell. Uh, My husband, Troy, and I are the senior pastors here. And just so you know how we do things around here, if you're new, uh, all of our campuses, we have live speakers and teachers on our platforms. So we are not a video venue. We don't just pump in a message from my husband or myself. We have live speakers on all the platforms because we want to get to know you. We want to know about your family. We want to know about your life. So that's really important to us. We say around here, we like to have the smell of the sheep on our clothing. It's very important. Very important. Well, this series we've been in called Arrival, um, I'm really liking it. Today, I'm going to talk about some of the prophecies in the Bible and what took them so long, how come things didn't happen when they should have or when we thought they should have. And I was thinking as I was writing this message um, how my husband, if there was such a title as a professional package tracker, Troy Maxwell would apply for that job because he loves when he orders something to go online and track that bad boy and figure out where it is. He's like, oh, it's in Chicago, two more days. And I'm just like, if I ordered, I ordered, it'll get here whenever it gets here, like no big deal. But no, he, it is so strategic for him. He has to go online and he wants to watch everywhere it is and when it's gonna come in and it cracks me up. So I, when I spoke at South End, um, my youngest child, my daughter, she's getting ready to turn 21. She's the only one of my kids that's uh, not married. And she comes up to me. She still lives at home. She comes up to me, and it's like at church. I am at church. I am in the lobby. And she comes up to me, and she goes, where's my package? And I said, what are you talking about? She's like, you took my package. 
It says right here, I got an email saying it was delivered, but it wasn't on the front porch. You took my package. And I'm like, first of all, no, I did not take your package. And second of all, uh, we are kind of at church right now. Is this not something we could discuss later? She's like, well, you took my package, and I know it's you because dad wouldn't wear makeup. And I said, sweetheart, I wouldn't wear your makeup either. I said, and I did not take your package. She's like, yes, you did, and we will talk about this later. And I'm like, oh, my God, where did she get that from? So here, here we get home, right, and she's still accusing me of taking her package. And I'm like, girl, I brought you into this world, and I will take you out right now. I do not have your package. Like, seriously, you're really getting on my nerves. So then Troy, like, comes and jumps in, and he's like, Cassidy, let me see your email. Just bring it over here, because, you know, he's the professional package tracker. He's like, bring it over here to me. She takes the email and he goes, Cassidy, do you know the difference between the UPS and the USPS? She's like, no. And he goes, obviously, because USPS delivered your package, which means it will not be on the front porch. It means the United States Postal Service, which means your package is in the mailbox. Leave your mama alone. <laughs> she just didn't know. She didn't know how to interpret or read, so she just made assumptions, right? How many times do you and I, when something doesn't arrive the way we thought it would arrive, we don't so much like that either. We question, maybe we question God, where's my package? Why didn't you deliver the package? This isn't the way I thought the package would come. Anybody ever done that? You see, we like it when God gives us the promise. We like to know, oh, yep. You're going to get this package, but then we're like, why haven't you done it yet? Where is the package? Why isn't the package here? And we want to, like, try to track it and figure out everything. And God's just like, well, do you trust me? And you're like, um, well, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, but I'd trust you even more if you would do this on my timetable. You see, because we really like the promise, but we don't so much like the process. And as Isaiah 60, it says, at the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. How many of you, your time and God's time, they are totally different things? Anybody? Why does that happen? Why do we have a hard time sometimes trusting God? Well, because right now, you and I live on a planet where we have to interact with people all the time. And not everybody is trustworthy. As a matter of fact, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So basically what you got is you got all of us, we're a bunch of porcupines walking around trying to hug each other. And what happens when two porcupines hug each other? They're going to stick each other and poke each other. And so we go through life and someone has hurt us or, or let us down or betrayed our trust. It could have been infidelity in a marriage. It could have been a business deal where somebody, you know, took money from you. It could have been a job promotion that you knew was supposed to be yours, but somebody at work had it in for you. And so it was given to somebody that it shouldn't have been given to. And so when people disappoint us or let us down, if we are not careful, we will project that onto God. All of us have been hurt in one way or another because we're living on this side of eternity. And so what happens is, is we walk through hurt, we walk through pain, and we just automatically start to assign that to God. You see, God, this person hurt me, and that person hurt me, and this person hurt me. So you know what? I'm going to assign that to you because I don't feel safe, so I'm going to build a wall around myself. And the problem with building a wall is it keeps everyone out. A gate is a good thing because a gate can open and close and let what in, what's in that's good and shut out what shouldn't be in. But a wall, which many of us do in order to process or get through when we go through difficult times, it's our body's, you know, trigger process. We're hurting. What is the one thing that most of us do when we hurt? We immediately start to isolate. Because we're trying to self-preserve. We're, we're trying to cover and protect ourselves. 
The hardest thing that it is to do when you're hurting is to just start singing worship or praise or, or just to start praying. It's like you know you need to, but it just feels hard because everything in your flesh wants to feel that pain and shrink back. But the very thing that'll set us free is the thing that sometimes is so hard to do. Because in order for us to worship and praise while we're in the middle of a difficult circumstance that feels like it's overwhelming, it's hard to worship and praise because that means I trust you even in the middle of my mess. Oh, how easy it is to come on the other side and go, oh, God, I see what you did. You're so good. But how difficult it is when you're right in the middle of your deepest, darkest hurt and pain to say, despite what I'm feeling, I will put my flesh down and my spirit will magnify you, God, and not magnify my problem. And because of the hurts that we walk through in life, if we are not careful, we, were we will assign those to God and we will miss his hand literally trying to bless us and remove that hurt and pain. See, we like it to happen in our time. And we like to try to, with our natural minds, understand things. And when we can't understand things or we think the waiting room of life is way too long, what can happen is we can start to get bitter and cynical. Jesus was prophesied in Genesis 3.15, but he didn't come on the earth till much later. And so many times in the waiting, if we don't watch our attitude, we get bitter and cynical and we get hard. That's what happened to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a group of supposed religious leaders who actually knew the word of God from an intellectual perspective. They had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. If anybody should know God, I mean, it should be them, right? But, but what happens is when we don't understand things, instead of just trusting God, we try to fill in the blanks with our intellect or our understanding. And if we're not careful when it doesn't happen, when we think it should, then we start to blame God or we start to get mad or angry or bitter. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. They got puffed up with pride because they took their knowledge and elevated it above God. So when God did come in flesh and stood before them, they didn't even recognize that God was moving because they got cynical. Now, I wish I could tell you that I never, ever did anything like that, that I'd never been cynical, that I never snubbed my nose at anything that God was doing or when his hand was moving, but I have to tell you that I've done that, and I've done it more than once. So I figured if I tell on myself, then maybe you will start to examine some of the things in your life. If Pastor Penny can mess up and mess up big, maybe you could as well. Maybe since all of us are flesh and bones, maybe we aren't that perfect. So what happened with me, and this is just one of the biggest times, so I figured I'd, I'd tell on that, but it was here in this auditorium, and I had invited one of my closest friends to come and speak to all the women. It was our big women's night. We had 1,100 women from all of our campuses packed into the room. And the power of God, you could just feel it in the air. And so my friend is up here speaking. She's a pastor. And she was up here preaching the word of God. And right in the middle of her message, she's like, okay, hold on. Um, I just really feel like God wants to heal some women. So anybody in the room, anyone women that are in the room, I want you just to line up all the way across the front, line up all the way. And with 1,100 women, there were quite a few women in the auditorium that night that needed to be prayed for. And I'll never forget, she started down here on this end, and she literally starts going one by one, just praying over and just prophesying over each individual woman. And then she gets about right here, just a little past midway. She gets right here, 
And this woman who is standing here in front of her, she's praying over her. And I'm just thinking, what a great moment. God, you are so incredible. You're touching these women's lives. And I am literally thinking Ephesians 3.20. You're exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask, think, hope, or imagine. And here I am just praying. She gets to this one woman and she's like, wait a second here. The Lord is telling me you're going to have twins. And I'm like, she better be freaking right. I mean, like that's a pretty big thing to say over somebody who's just trying to have one kid. And now you're telling her she's going to have two. You better be hearing from the Lord. And so I'm just going, oh, Jesus. Like, oh, and I just closed my eyes. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, come on, Jesus, yeah. And then she's like, oh. Oh, and they're going to be twin boys. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Like, that is pretty stinking specific. Not only are you, you barren woman, are going to have twins, but you're going to have twin boys. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Jesus, she better be freaking right right now because she's getting on a plane and going home and I still got to be here. She better, she better be hearing from you right now. She better be prophesying and not prophet lying. Lord, I, I, like all of this is going through my mind in my seat. And this is my friend who I have a close relationship with. I know her walk with the Lord and I know she has a prophetic gift on her life. And then after she does that, she goes down, she prays for a few more, and then she stops. She comes back to that woman, and she's like, no, wait, wait. Twin girls. And then she pauses. She's like, twin boys. And I'm going, oh, Jesus, she can't even make her freaking mind up. What is she doing? (laughs) I'm like, Jesus, I know you're not schizophrenic, so, oh, my God. Like, what the heck? So she finishes praying for everybody. The night dismisses. And I'm just like, you know, Lord, I'm just trusting you. Um, You know, down here, I was like, you're exceedingly abundantly. And then right here, I'm like, oh, Jesus. That's a little exceedingly and a little too abundantly for me. And I'm just, honestly, I'm kind of like, what in the world? Until five months later, she comes right down this aisle right here. I'm down here. I just finished speaking. She meets me after I get off the platform. She comes right here and she says, you are not going to believe this. She said, I have something to show you. And she pulls out her ultrasound and she is five months pregnant with twin boys. And not only that, but when the doctor traced it back, she got pregnant that exact weekend. And I was just like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, ye of little faith. I mean, why couldn't I just, man, I invited her here to speak, and I'm all excited. And then, you know, God starts moving. I'm like, well, she was a little confused, though. I mean, you know, so God, you give me that. I mean, she said, boys, girls, like, you know. So I just like was like, well, thank God. And, of course, you know, to her, I was like, isn't God good for his word? And I'm literally, okay, I'm being honest. Don't y'all act like y'all haven't done that too. Come on. We call this Freedom House so you can tell the truth in here. So, I mean, I thought that was wonderful and amazing and was like, felt like I got like a Holy Spirit butt whipping, you know. Except for a year and a half later, I get an inbox on Instagram. And it's a picture of an ultrasound. She's like, Pastor Penny, you're not going to believe this. And I'm like, what? She's like, I got to show you this. Same woman sends me an ultrasound. It's an ultrasound of her twin girls. By this point, I'm just like crawling under the chair. It's like no wonder she was hearing boys and girls. And that's why she thought, okay, well, you said boys and then you said girls. Okay, which, and I'm like, oh, what a heathen I am. Dear Lord, pastor of the church can't even hear from God and what in the world. 
And the Lord said to me, you know what? Go back to when you just believed that I was good for my word and you never had to question or doubt before you had people disappoint you and hurt you. And so you looked at them, you know, through the lens of, "Mm, let's see. That was a really good lesson for me. And I had a mathematician in our church try to figure out the statistical probabilities of a woman who can't have kids being told she's going to have kids that very weekend, her getting pregnant with twins, with boys, and then turning around. He's like, he tried. He's like, because he was asking me all these questions. Well, are they fraternal? Or I'm like, I don't know. Just give me a, like, I don't know. He's like, it can't be done. It's, it's not possible. Out of our mouth, we say all the time, God, I believe you can do the impossible. But when he starts to do it, do we believe him or do we get skeptical? I know, I know. I've seen the TV preacher too that just blows on people and he's got a white suit. Pick him up, pick him up. I've seen it too, y'all. But at what point... Do we not let every other person who has disappointed us or hurt us be our filter in which we view God through? And I really felt like God corrected me. In Genesis 3.15, mankind falls, and God immediately starts to prophesy that Jesus is going to come right there in the garden We know that Satan comes in the form of a snake and he tries to confuse Eve. And I wanna read this to you. It says, and I will put enmity, this is God speaking to the snake. And enmity is basically just letting Eve know and the snake know there's about to be a blood feud between the two of you. He said, and I will put enmity between you and between the woman. And between your seed and her seed. Now, I want to show you something. We preached an entire month last month on um, God's economy and how to live under God's economy. We talked about, when I was here, we talked about how Jesus was the capital S seed that God planted. In other words, God sacrificed him. He gave Jesus hoping that you and I would follow, that we would be the reward that would be reaped because he planted the big S seed, Jesus. The Bible also calls Jesus the tithe, the first fruit of many brethren. Right here is the first instance where you see that happen, where Jesus is being spoke of. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed, capital S seed, Jesus. And he shall bruise your head. Satan, he's gonna bruise your head. He is gonna take, he's gonna give you a fatal blow, your head. But you, yes, you will bruise his heel. You, you, will, you will hurt him, but it's gonna be minimal and it'll be temporary. Head and heel. That is the first time in the Bible where we see where Jesus is prophesied. But Jesus doesn't come on the earth. His arrival is not for 4,000 years later. Now, I don't understand. Why are you gonna tell them about that and then let 4,000 years go by? That wouldn't exactly be the way I'd have done it. I mean, why are you gonna, it's like telling your kids we're going to Disney World, but not for five years. Like, why would you do that? Just don't say anything. Or, or, you know, if mankind just fell, I mean, just Jesus, come on right now. Why didn't God send Jesus right then in that moment? I'm gonna tell you the answer in a minute, but here's the thing. We associate time with God and his ability. When the truth is, 
You know, we, we look around and we decide whether God is good for his word, whether it was in the time frame that I needed it to happen. You see, we think that God's inactivity has something to do with his ability. And, and as a matter of fact, I mean, okay, Jesus, you, you waited for, God, you waited 4,000 years to send Jesus, but like, why did you send him as a baby? That's the king of kings we've been waiting for, not hardly the package that, I'd be thinking about, I'm supposed to go bow before a baby? He certainly doesn't look very royal to me. It's not the way I picture it, or as long as it should have been. I mean, who wants to follow a baby? He's helpless. What in the world? Born in a barn? No, thank you. I mean, have you heard about his mother? We know who his mother is. That was Mary. No, just definitely not the way. Why did God make them wait 4,000 years? Why did he come in the form of baby? Why didn't he come back in the pomp and circumstance? Certainly, it's not the way my mind would think. He was prophesied and then just 4,000 years? I mean, God, did, did, you, did your package get lost? Did it get stuck in Chicago? Like, what's going on? You see, oftentimes when prophecies are given, the person that is being used by God to write down or record the prophecy, they don't always know what that prophecy means. As a matter of fact, in Daniel 12.4, the angel has given Daniel all these uh, prophetic words, and Daniel looks at the angel and says, what do these mean? And the angel said, it's not for you to know right this minute. Like, you don't need to know this to know that it's from God. You just need to sit and watch. I don't like that. I kind of like you just to tell me. It's not the only time in the Bible you see that happening. Peter uh, refers to, in 1 Peter 1.11, he refers to a lot of the Old Testament writers, how they had that same struggle. God would begin to speak to them, and they would write it down, but their mind was unfruitful. They didn't understand exactly what God was trying to say in the moment, Later, it was like light bulb going off, but in the moment, most of them had no idea. The thing I find so interesting about the Bible is that almost a third of the Bible is made up of prophecies. 26.8% of the Bible is made up of prophecies. Out of those, 80% have already been fulfilled. 80%. The other 20% that have not been fulfilled yet are about the second coming of Jesus. It was 39 different men in these prophecies over three continents that had never known each other, never talked, never interacted, and over the span of 1,500 years, and they were all saying the exact same thing. They were all telling one story beginning with eternity past and ending with eternity future. That many people, that many years all pointing and saying the same thing. Why? It's so God could let us know that his word is true if that many people over that long. You know, the reason it has the genealogies in the Bible is not so you and I can go, oh, I don't care who begets so-and-so. It's to actually prove its validity because you can go back and trace history because of the genealogy. It shows you the truth of God's word, and you can go back and look it up for yourself. It gives you context so you can go all the way back and go, huh. It shows you its accuracy, not that it's this dusty relic that you got out of grandma's attic, that it's alive and powerful. Why is it so important that we're digging into our word? Why is it so important that we're reading the Bible on a regular basis? Because that is how we fellowship, one of the many ways that we fellowship with God. And right now, I hear so many people saying, oh my gosh, this world is crazy. It's falling apart. This is unbelievable what is happening. Well, what I would say to you is if you are digging in your word, you will know that the world is not falling apart. Things are falling into place. They've already been prophesied. 
We just don't know that it's in there. Let me give you a perfect example of a prophecy that most people haven't jumped into and realized that it's actually being fulfilled right now. It's in Revelation 18.23, and I want to just explain to you, Revelation was written by the Apostle John, and he's talking about Babylon, and Babylon is a type of the world's economic system and how it's going to collapse. What used to look like it was flourishing and alive, that the world system will fail, which again is why we taught you last month on how to get into God's system so you don't get underneath of that and you don't go down with it. You got to be hooked into God's economy. So in Babylon, the, the type of Babylon the economy will fail. Things that were once teeming uh, with growth are going to die. And Revelation is written during a time where there was an extreme persecution with Christians. And it begins to talk about, as things come, come further, that Christianity will be removed from everything. That literally you'll see things start to go dark and cold because things will be removed. Like prayer will be removed from schools. Like the Ten Commandments will be removed from courthouses. Right? Where you can't stand up and say anything without being called a name. Christians are some of the most criticized people in the country. And it pro prophesies all of this happening. Revelation 18, 23, it says, And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, Babylon. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Now, what I want to break down for you for a moment as I want to explain to you what this scripture means when it says the nations will be deceived by your sorcery. You have to understand the way that the Bible is written. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and then translated into English. The New Testament was written in Greek and translated into English. So when we're trying to understand and we're going through our Bibles trying to figure out what does that word mean to us? you know, what, what does that mean in the Greek, what, what they're saying? It, it doesn't, you know, in our English, it, it, our language is very different. And so they try to give us a word that best sums up what it's saying. So they use the word sorcery. So I went to the Greek and I said, you know, what, I went to the lexicon, what does that word sorcery mean in the Greek? And it's the Greek Number, I'm going to give you so you can go look it up. Each Greek word is assigned a number, and it's the number 5331. And the word for sorcery is pharmakia, which is where we get the word pharmacy from. Let's break it down further. The definition of pharmakia is the use of medicine, drugs, or spells. Now let's go back and let's plug that in. And all nations were deceived, all nations, not just the United States, not just Canada, not just Great Britain, not just Australia, all nations were deceived by the use of medicine, drugs, and spells. Now you tell me if you'd have read this 30 years ago, would that have made much sense to you? And I ask you, when you read that today, does a little light bulb go off in your head? We've got to understand that there is gold in the word of God, and we've got to learn to mine the gold. Mine the gold. All through the Bible, you see prophecies that are going on. All through the Bible. And what God wants us to understand, and really honestly what that scripture is saying is, listen, the government is to function under divine authority, but it's not to function as the divine authority. And when we are not in the word of God, we are going to let what people say. We're going to let 
mandates or whatever else control us. And the word of God should be where we are getting our information from, not because Dr. Fauci or anybody else told us to, but because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords left us messages and notes, and he wants us to read them. The thing is, is what's hard is, is sometimes the span between prophecies because we don't always understand, which is why we've got to be reading and researching and understand what the word of God has to say. I can tell you there's plenty of people in the Bible that had the same issues that you and I have had. Abraham is 70 years old and God comes to him and says, Abraham, you are gonna be the father of many nations. As a matter of fact, you're gonna have so many children that you'll have more than the sands on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. He's 70 years old. I'm 50 and I'm not even thinking like that. If I'm 70, do you understand? I mean, that's kind of like a big thing. Except for 16 years go by and nothing happens. What happens when you have a promise and 16 years go by and in the natural, it ain't looking too good for old Abraham, right? So he's thinking, well, my wife's old, I'm old. Sarah, what should we do? You know what? Maybe God meant the promise was gonna come through. Like, why don't you go, my handmaiden, why don't you go and sleep with her and you guys can have a baby and we'll raise the baby and maybe that's what God meant. Because obviously it's not working this way. And so that's what he does. And they birth a child named Ishmael through Hagar, the maidservant. God is furious. He said, that is not what I told you. And they're thinking, well, 16 years, I mean, how long did you want us to wait? I mean, I was already 70, my clock is ticking. God's like, that is not what I said to you. That is not the promise that I gave you. And because you have done this, you're gonna start a motion that you can't undo because of what you've done. Another 14 years go by. 14 years and Sarah gives birth to Isaac, the promise. 30 years after God prophesied it to him. Why in the world, when God gave him the prophecy, didn't the next day he go and conceive with Sarah? Why the time? You see, we don't understand when we step outside of God's timing, the consequences. Because of what Abraham did with Hagar, his son from Hagar, Ishmael, was now 16 years old and was so jealous of that little baby that was born, he tried to hurt him multiple times to the point where he had to send Ishmael and Hagar away. And Ishmael was so upset because he felt like he was the rightful heir that should inherit the promise, that should have the blessing of the firstborn. But God said, no, it belongs to Isaac. What Abraham did by stepping out of the calling of God is what you see now that is happening over where you have the Arabs and you have the Jews that are warring against each other. Arabs are descendants of Ishmael. The Jews are descendants of Isaac. And they are still fighting today because of a bad move from Abraham. They're still fighting over who has rights to the land. We have to be careful stepping outside of God's word and thinking that we can do things on our own. Naaman was a great commander of an army and he came down with leprosy and he knew there was a prophet named Elisha so he goes and he hears word that the prophet uh, is ready to be there so he can get healed. So he gets to the house, he knocks on the door and the prophet's servant 
comes and opens the door. And he's like, hey, I'm big dog here, you know, commander of the army, Naaman. Um, I'm here to talk to Elisha. Yes, he, he told me you were coming. He said, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and you will be made whole. He's like, um, no, 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 like I'm here. I'm a, I'm a big guy. Like I'm big, I got a big reputation. I'm a big guy, you know, big dog. I, I need to see the prophet. And he's like, this is what he said to do. And he goes, well, you don't understand. A prophet, he's supposed to like come out and like wave his hand over my head and stuff. So I need him to come wave his hand over my head. And his servant says to him, that's not how he said it was gonna happen. He is furious. And he looks at his servant and he goes, that river is dirty. It is the dirtiest river. Everybody knows about the Jordan River. I am not going to get in that river. Forget it, let's go home. And his servant looks at him and says, um, sir, pardon me for saying this, but you have an incurable disease that you're going to die from. Is it such a bad thing? I mean, granted, this isn't how you thought it would happen, but I mean, what if it worked? What if all you did was, you know, go and get in the river and, and nothing happened? I mean, what, what would be the worst thing? And so he's like, fine, fine, I will do it. And he goes and he dips and we know his skin comes up and he's completely clean. Why? Why did God do it like that? Because he knew there was some pride he had to break down in Naaman. Why did he make Moses wait? Because Moses would be called the father of faith. And he had to teach him what that looked like. When his son was 16, he actually was asked by God to sacrifice him. And because of the experience he already had, he went ahead and trusted God and God stopped him. But God's like, yep, finally you got it. You got it now. Sometimes God Let's time elapse so we can see the error of our ways. Joseph was given this great dream, this prophecy by God. And here is Joseph going and telling his brothers, guess what God told me? That all of you are going to bow down and worship me. Isn't that great? They didn't think it was so great. So they beat him up, threw him in a pit, and sold him to be a slave. And that's not like looking so good on the prophecy, right? I mean, God, they're supposed to be bowing down to me. This doesn't feel like what you just prophesied. See, God knew he needed time in the pit and then he would go to prison before he could ever rule in the palace. We've got to have those seasons even when we don't understand them, but they're seasons of character building. Moses had to do the same thing. God approached Moses and prophetically said to him, you are going to set my people free. All of the millions who are trapped in Egypt and Moses is like, whoa, wait a second. Nobody's gonna listen to me. I'm not really good at speech. I've kind of done some bad things in my life. Gives him five reasons of why he's not qualified. It took a year for him to get to Pharaoh's door. And even then, there were still 10 plagues that had to happen before the people were set free. And some of you might be going, but, but yeah, the majority of them, when, when they got set free, it's only a week's journey from Egypt to the promised land, but it took them 40 years, exactly, because their hearts were cynical and hard and complaining, God said, I cannot take you there in this condition. You'll ruin what I'm trying to establish. So what happened? The majority of them never got to enter. And you say, well, wait a second. God, God prophesied and gave them a word that they would go to the promised land. You're exactly right. But you know what? Prophecies are contingent. They are not contingent on God's obedience, but they are contingent on our obedience. When God told Pastor Troy and I to pick up and move to Charlotte and leave everything we'd ever known, our friends, our family, came down here with no jobs, 
a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and an eight-month-old, I'm going to tell you what. We're like, what in the world? God will do it. But we, we don't even know anybody in Charlotte. We've never even been to Charlotte. And we get here thinking like we're super holy and super spiritual because of all we've given up. We sold our five-bedroom home, gave up our great jobs, earning great incomes to move down here for nobody to know us, nobody to eat. We have no relationships, no income at the time, living off of savings accounts. And we get down here, and then God says, and by the way, you weren't my first choice. That's kind of tacky. Like, who says that? That is so tacky. And you know what? I'm a little mad at you because I'm sitting here on boxes and I don't have a five-bedroom house anymore. I'm living in a townhome that I'm renting. And God said, oh, well, you weren't my second choice either. And I was like, what, what are you trying to do? Is this like, do, do, we, do you want a neon sign? Troy and Penny Maxwell, not God's choice. He's like, you were my third choice. I'm like, oh, great. Great that we've given everything up to come down here. And you're like, you're my third choice. I said, what, what is that even for? And, you know, in the moment, I didn't completely understand what God was trying to say. But I can tell you, looking back on that now, what God said is, listen, this is not about you, and you need to know that while you're in a little rinky-dink building where the roof is leaking and you've got five people in your congregation because one day when you're multi-site and you're all over the world and you're doing these things, you need to know you are my third choice so you never think that you're a big deal because you ain't that good. It's never been about you. It never will be about you. And if you ever think that it is, there'll be a number four. <laughs> it's very important that we understand that prophecies are contingent. Let's go back to Jesus. Why in the world, when mankind fell, why? Did God not go? Jesus gone. There would have been no world wars. There would have been no Wuhan lab. There would have been no atomic bombs being made. There would be no school shootings. There would be no abortions. Why in the world? There would have never been the rise of Hitler. God, why didn't you just send Jesus and keep us from doing all of this, giving us your son now as soon as we fell? Why? Because God wanted us to know how bad we can get when we are separated from him. And if he were to immediately dive in, and save the day, and we had no consequences. We had no record of history all through these thousands of years to see we tried and failed, we tried and failed, we tried and failed. The law wasn't good enough. We couldn't do it. We tried and failed. We now have a history book to look back and say we aren't that good. And at that point, if God would have just sent Jesus... Mankind needed to learn how bad it feels when you live life separated from God. And at that point, they never had before. They always walked with God in the cool of the day. Will you stand on your feet with me? I just want you to know today, wherever you are, whatever journey you have been on in your life, There is nothing worse than living disconnected from God. Nothing worse than living disconnected from God. 
I'm gonna read this scripture as the keyboard player comes up. It's Galatians 4.4. It says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. In the set time, there was a set time, a specific time. He was born of a woman, born under the law. It might not make sense when we're first looking at things. Why 4,000 years? Why as a baby? We don't necessarily understand why things come packaged the way that they are. I don't always understand God's timing, but if I trust him, if I truly trust him, does timing even matter? If I really believe he's good for his word, then why am I frantic? Why am I worrying? At some point, my heart and my head have to align and say, you know what, God? It's because I've been disconnected. I started to get fearful. I started to worry. I started to feel overwhelmed. And I need to put you back first. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? I wanna ask you that question today. Have you been living disconnected? Disconnected from the Lord. If you have, it is so easy. He's made it so easy for us to come back. All you have to do today is just say, I'm ready. I wanna come back. I've been disconnected. Would you just lift your hand if you're in here and you say, I've been disconnected. I'm coming back. So many hands, my goodness. Same thing online. If you would just say, you know what? I have been disconnected and I wanna come back. You can connect with us right there online. There's someone there to pray with you. God doesn't want you living separated from him because he is coming back. In Revelation 1-7, it says, Behold, he's coming back with clouds, and every eye will see him, every tongue will confess. And he's not coming back as a baby this time. He's coming back with white hair and eyes of fire. Why for you? Let's all say this together today. Say, Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done by giving us your son. We may not always understand your timing, but we know that your timing is our protection. We receive your son into our hearts right now in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.